Now, I'm, gonna, I'm curious, how many of you uh, are here today and uh, you were born outside of the United States? I want you to raise your hand. You were born outside of the United States. Lots of you, more, so, more in this service than certainly in the last service. Um, over the last nine years, uh, my wife and our boys, we've lived in a neighborhood up in the north part of, of our area here where there are just new homes being built all the time. And the majority of the workers that are building these homes are Hispanic guys who um, have obviously moved here from mostly Mexico and other uh, Latin American countries, and, uh, and they're here and, and just trying as, as hard as they can to support their families. And uh, when we first moved into the neighborhood, I had this uh, little dog, a little rat terrier, who when these guys were building homes and they were cooking, my dog would climb the fence and run to where they were. It didn't matter what home they were building. He would, this dog, she would beeline to that house. And I realized quickly that this dog had a deep love for Mexican food, especially homemade tortillas. So as I would chase the dog through the neighborhood, knowing where the dog was going, I just, you know, followed my nose and the dog. I found out these guys were here working, uh, most of them by themselves in the United States, trying to support their families back home. And it was, a, it was tough on them, extremely tough. And uh, I got to know a few of them uh, as, as a result of my dog. But I can't imagine what it's like to uh, be by yourself in a foreign country. Um, to be trying to understand a different language, trying to live around uh, a, a different philosophy of life, adjusting to a different culture, trying to really get your mind around a different mindset. I mean, I've thought about that even as I think about those guys, and I thought, it, that has got to be a daunting challenge. And most of us in this room have no idea what it's like to be in that kind of situation for a long period of time. And I'm sure if you're here today and that's what uh, you're trying to get accustomed to and it's your story, I know for, for, for so many it, it's tough sledding. And I think the closest thing that, that I can think to outside of being on a, a very short-term missions trip is when my family moved from Michigan to Texas in 1980 when I was in 10th grade. Now, for those of you who are uh, native Texans in here, I'm just going to tell you, Texans have, they speak a different language, they have a different mindset, they're a different culture, and they made it very clear to me that, that anybody outside of Texas if you come from outside of Texas, you are a Yankee. It doesn't matter if you come from the West, the North, or the East, you're a Yankee. And when I moved there for the first six months, all I wanted to do was to go back to Michigan because it was tough feeling so different. And the fact is, most people do not like the feeling of being in an uncomfortable setting like that, where, where, where we just feel different than everyone around us. We don't like that emotion of feeling like and experiencing the fact that, that we're different and people are making us very aware that we're different. And so oftentimes what we'll do is, is we will do whatever and anything we can to try to blend in. We'll, we'll do everything we can so we don't feel uncomfortable or out of place or to not try to stand out in the midst of the culture. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this puts you in a little bit of a dilemma. Because the Bible tells us that if we live our lives here on this earth modeling the life of Jesus Christ and living according to God's words and, and God's principles, then we're going to experience the same emotions that, that, that many folks 
are so desperately trying to escape from. We're going to feel uncomfortable. There are going to be moments where we're going to feel out of place. We're going to actually feel different. Now, why is that? Well, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, not only did you trade spiritual death for spiritual life, but you also traded your citizenship. You went from being a citizen of heaven, or excuse me, a citizen of the world, to being a citizen of heaven. Even though you're still physically here on this earth, your permanent eternal home is heaven. heaven. And according to the Bible, the world and the culture that we currently live in here on the earth and here, like in in the here and now, the kingdom of earth, is vastly different than the world that we actually belong to, the world that we actually represent, which is the kingdom of heaven. The language, the philosophy, the the lifestyle, the culture, it's all very, very different. And so it's a huge challenge to live in this world and yet reflect the values and the principles of another world. It, It can actually strike fear into our hearts to be considered different. But 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 kind of lays this out for us and it says, Dear friends, Peter warns us, he says, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. The Bible actually refers to us as temporary residents. Followers of Jesus Christ, we are foreigners, we're strangers, we're aliens. In other words, we are different. And the Bible tells us that while we are temporary living in this world, we should not be of this world. In other words, our language, our philosophy, our lifestyle should reflect a different loyalty, a different identity than the physical world that we live in. And what and who we are loyal to should look completely different than the loyalties of those around us. And this is where the discomfort and the fear come in because the Bible tells us that not only are we going to be different, but the world is actually going to despise us. They're going to hate us. And like millions today and many, many millions who have gone before us, we're actually going to be persecuted for being followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in John 17, 14. He says, I've given them your word, talking about his disciples, but referring as well to us. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Now, I think this is a timely message because today there are over, right now, over a hundred million people in the world that are facing persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. As you know, Westridge works in a, in a socialist, communistic uh, society um, in a different country. I can't name it because of the internet, but we are financially supporting 35 church planters that have planted 400 churches that preach the gospel in this country. And these guys face extreme persecution because they've chosen to be different. Now, what does the the word different actually mean? Different means to be distinct or to be separate, to be unlike in nature or quality. And this morning, as we finish our our series on fear, the series that we're calling Unlearn, we're going to look in the Bible at the life of a teenager, a young man who is taken out of his homeland. He was placed in a very strange world. He was tested in every way to conform to the world that he was placed in. And yet, he chose to be different. 
He, he chose to be a difference maker in the culture that he was placed in. He overcame his fears. He resolved in his heart to be different. And as a result, he impacted an entire culture for God. His name is Daniel. And most of you probably know him as an old guy who spent an evening with some hungry lions in a den because he would not bow down, or actually because he would not stop praying to his God. But listen, some of his most fearless moments came when he was a young man. And we're going to look at his story in Daniel chapter 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So in 605 BC, the Babylonians come down from Babylon, from which would be modern-day Iraq. They destroy Jerusalem. They, 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 they take its king. They, they take things from God's temple, and they place them in the temple of their pagan gods, And then in verse 3 it says, Then the king commanded Eshphenes, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. And among them were Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, gave them different names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Ezariah, he called Abednego. So here you have this king, Nebuchadnezzar. He orders his chief official. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to gather up all of these young Jewish males, and I want you to pick out the best of the best. And they have to be from a royal family, and they can't have any physical defects. They have to be handsome, and they have to be smart. And so Ashpenaz picks out a group of a bunch of guys, but in this group of guys are four young men from the tribe of Judah. You have Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Nebuchadnezzar then takes these guys and he enrolls them into a three-year program with a four-part strategy to brainwash them to become Babylonians. He wanted to take the Jewish out of them and get the Babylonian into them. So he's got a plan of total conformity. What does it look like? What's Nebuchadnezzar's four-part strategy? Well, first of all, he wants to make them learn the Chaldean language. Now, the Babylonians were big into magic. They were big into rituals and astrology. And so Nebuchadnezzar knew, the only way that I'm going to get these guys to conform to pagan religion and to act and to think like Babylonians is to get them to be able to understand the language. they got to know the language. The second thing, second step was to fill their mind with Babylonian philosophy. Once they were able to understand and read the language, he wanted to fill their mind with, with Babylonian science and astrology and religion and the mindset of the, of, and philosophy of the Babylonians. The third thing is he basically wanted to expose them to a different lifestyle. 
He wanted to give them an appetite for indulgence. He wanted them to, to only drink the finest wines and to eat the finest foods. He wanted them to have the finest things that Babylon had to offer. He wanted to, them to crave pleasures in excess. He wanted to instill inside of them this desire for celebrity and materialism. Now, one of the problems that these young men immediately ran into was that the food and the drink that was being offered to them violated Old Testament law, Jewish law. Now, back at the time, the Jews were not to eat or to drink anything prepared uh, for them by a Gentile. They were, they were, it was also probably several types of food on the, on the king's menu that was actually forbidden by law. And then the king's food would have been prepared as a sacrifice to pagan gods. So basically, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar immediately wants Daniel and his buddies to violate God's law. And then the fourth uh, step was to change their identity and their loyalty. Each one of these men had been given names by their Jewish parents that reflected their devotion to the God of Israel. And it was obvious that, that all four of these guys were raised in homes where they were taught the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. They were taught to fear God. They were taught to obey his law. But Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to strip them of their Jewish identity, strip them of their loyalty to God. So he has his chief official to give them new names that would identify them with pagan gods and Babylonian culture. So you have this name Daniel, which means in, in Hebrew, God is my judge. And they changed it to Belteshazzar, which is Bel, one of their pagan gods. Bel will protect you have Hananiah, which means in Hebrew, God shows grace. And they changed his name to Shadrach, which means inspired by Aku, the, the moon god. You have Mishael, who, which means in Hebrew, who is, who is like God, to Meshach, who, who is as Aku is. All right? And then they took Azariah, which name means in Hebrew, God is my help. And they called him Abednego, servant of Nebo, which was the god Venus. So you have this three-year, four-step plan in place to brainwash these Jewish males. And again, here's his plan. Nebuchadnezzar wants to change their language. He wants to fill their mindset in a different way of thinking. He wants to expose them to a different lifestyle. And then one, once they've been taught all of this stuff, he wants them to change their identity, change their loyalty, so there's nothing Jewish about them. Nothing that reflects the God of Israel. Wipe out everything that they've learned at home. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about how much and how similar this scenario is to our current reality, to our current lifestyle, to our current situation. We are very much like Daniel and his friends. We are strangers in a foreign land. Our homeland is not this earth. The Bible, again, tells us we, our citizenship is in heaven. We've been left here on earth to be representatives of the kingdom of God. However, we're being bombarded every single day with a very compelling culture that speaks a different language, that has a different way of thinking that effectively promotes a different lifestyle, that constantly challenges us to give up our identities and to trade our loyalties so that we can be like everyone else. There's a constant pressure to conform, and as a result, there is a fear. This is the fear we're exposing today. It's the fear of being different that begins to capture our hearts. And so for many people who profess and call themselves Christians, this becomes a struggle because so many professed followers of Jesus Christ desperately want to be accepted by this world. 
They want their children to be culturally acceptable and to to be popular. They they want to blend into the culture. They they get caught up in the pursuit of materialism and social status and they're drawn towards different idols and, and, and the current icons of this current culture. And because of the constant changing and shifting philosophy and ideals of the culture and the pressure to conform, we're now in a place, now very much in a place, where many professed Christians are actually looking and questioning God's words, questioning his principles because we're afraid of being labeled today or we're, we're actually afraid of being persecuted by the world around us. And yet the Bible calls us and commands us to be different. Tells us to be different. Even though we live in the world, the Bible says, listen, do not be of this world. Therefore, if we're going to live out the mission of God, the mission that he has left us to live out, if we're gonna fulfill our purpose And the plan that he has for us to be in this world, which is to influence and to impact and to lead the culture around us, then our language, our mindset, our lifestyle, our identity, our loyalties have to be different than the world around us. You say, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, look at what Daniel does. Now, I want you to remember the king's four-step plan, his four-step strategy. But verse 8 says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, the word resolve means this. A firmness of purpose to be separated. Unwavering firmness of character, action, or will. I grew up with the King James Version. The King James says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel resolved, he purposed in his heart. In other words, Daniel made a firm commitment that he would not defile himself. He resolved that he would not give in to the pressure to conform to the culture around him and to violate his commitment to God. He resolved to be different. Now, listen, I would imagine that, that Daniel and his three friends, they, they had to be full of fear. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. If you want to go on and read some more into Daniel later on, not now, but later on, listen, you'll realize this guy had some serious issues. But Babylon was the most powerful empire of the day. It, and it would have been nothing for Nebuchadnezzar to just have these guys killed. But with God's strength, Daniel and his buddies pushed through their fears, and Daniel resolved in his heart to not defile himself by conforming to the king's plan. You see, the biggest reason some of you are struggling with the pressure to conform to the culture around you is because you have yet to become resolved. You have yet to become resolved. You have not adopted an unwavering firmness in your character, in your action, and your will. And you, maybe it is because you fear being different. And here's what I've learned. As long as you are struggling here, guess who else is going to struggle? Your children. And if you are conforming to the world, don't be shocked if your kids take it to a whole nother level. Well, how was Daniel able to resolve in his heart to be different? Because I mean, remember, this is a young guy. Totally different culture. Like a fish out of water. First thing, he knew who he was. He knew who he was. One of the biggest reasons I think people conform to whatever culture is throwing at them is because they have no clue who they are. It's totally understandable to see people who are are not Christians conforming to the culture because they belong to the world. It's only natural. However, it's alarming 
to see so many people who claim to know and belong to Jesus Christ act no different than the world around them. As a pastor, I mean, it's been hard last 28 years to see so many believers struggle with self-esteem problems and low self-confidence. And yet it's common. You say, how in the world does that happen? How, How do generations of people who are supposedly followers of Jesus Christ, filled up with the Holy Spirit, How do they grow up with severe self-esteem problems, very little self-respect, and and low self-confidence to where they fall prey to the culture around them whenever it happens, whenever they get sucked in? And here's the answer. There are way too many believers that have no idea who they really are in Jesus Christ. And so as a result, we have an identity crisis going on. We don't know who we are as children of God. We forget that we've been adopted, chosen, pulled into God's very own family. He actually purchased our freedom from the power of sin when he gave up his son Jesus as a sacrifice. And we live now, we, we live now through the power of God through, and we, we have unlimited access to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's only scratching the surface. But, but that's what we have to know about who we are in Christ. And here's what Daniel knew. He knew that he worshiped the one and only true God. He knew that he was from God's chosen nation, Israel. He was also from the tribe of Judah. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, the tribe of Judah was a tribe of incredible blessing. When Jacob blessed his 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of, of Israel, he put a powerful word of blessing on his son Judah. Jacob's blessing was a prophecy that said out of Judah's descendants would, become, would, would come royalty. Who, 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 is, who were Judah's descendants? Well, you've got this guy named David who had a son named Solomon. Who had, and then you just keep going down the line and eventually you get to this amazing man by the name of Jesus. That's who came out of the line of Judah. Now listen, I cannot overemphasize the importance of not only pouring out your blessing on your children... but but teaching them the tremendous wealth and blessing that they have in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to know their identity in Christ. Daniel knew that he was an Israelite. He knew that the Israelites were God's chosen people. They were a nation of blessing. They were a people that belonged to God. And in the face of tremendous pressure to conform, Daniel knew that not only was he from a family of blessing, but he was from a nation of blessing. Today, Gentiles... Most of you. Listen, we are God's chosen people. We are a people of blessing. Romans 11, 17 tells us that we've been grafted into God's overall blessing plan. In other words, because of Jesus, God has made us his very own. And so we are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. We've been made part of the plan. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but, but you're not like that. Like what? Like the world around you, like the culture around you. No, no, no. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he has called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Listen, when you understand the magnitude of what it means to be one of God's chosen people and that you belong to God himself, you will realize that it's actually kind of cool to feel uncomfortable. It's actually, it's actually kind of appealing to feel a bit different. You don't need to conform to the culture because you have a call on your life to actually impact, lead, and change the culture around you. When you know who you are in God's eyes, it shapes your behavior and it gives you a whole new meaning and, and, and understanding and, uh, of confidence and self-respect. The second thing that Daniel knew is he knew why he was here. 
When you have a good grasp on who you are, it makes it a whole lot easier to understand why you're here. Now, Daniel may not have known what he was going to be doing when he grew up, what, like, like what his profession was going to be, but he didn't struggle with his life's purpose. Daniel was committed to live his life for an audience of one, the God of Israel. See, people struggle with conforming to culture because they live to please everyone. They, they, always shifting, whoever's the, the, you know, the leader, the, the leader of culture, whoever's the, whoever the spotlight's on at the moment. And, but listen, if you're if you dig further into the book of Daniel, you, you, you see three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get thrown into a fiery furnace, and when they get in there, the king says, the, the, they said, make it hotter. And who's in there with them? Jesus. They refuse to bow down to the idols of the day. You get further into the book and you find Daniel in a lion's den. Why? Because he refuses to stop praying to his God. He will not bend to the king. He will only bend to God. You say, how was Daniel able to do that? He knew why he was put here on this earth. But he also knew where his strength came from. Daniel is famous for being a man of prayer. Daniel chapter 6 tells us that three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed. His faith to live for God even under the most adverse circumstances flowed out of a deep growing relationship with the Lord. He knew where his strength came from. And so Daniel was able to resolve in his heart at, at at a very tough moment to not defile himself because he knew that God was in control and he knew that whatever came his way, he would have the strength because his strength came from God. See, listen, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear the pressures of a culture when you know who you are, when you know why you're here and you know where your strength comes from. Our strength comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And yet I see so many professed followers of Christ today losing their minds Right now, today, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we, are, we are knee-deep into this election uh, time in, in, our, in our country. And, and I see so many believers, whether it's on you know, Facebook or whatever that looks like, just completely losing their mind, getting totally jacked out of shape. And I want to tell you, you don't have to live in fear. Because this world is not your home. You don't have to fear the future. We've talked about fearing the unknown. You don't have to fear that when you know who you are, when you know where you are from, and where you know where your strength comes from. And so many people go, yeah, but what if? But what if she? What if he? I mean, we could, we, it goes from our country down to our county in the politics. People are losing their minds. But what if, what if? Listen, our first and foremost allegiance is to a different king and a different land. So how can we do this? How, I mean, we, we know who we are. We know why we're here. We know where our strength comes from. But how can we live resolved to be different? Well, first of all, parents, foundations have to be laid at home. I want you to think for a moment about the cultural, the language, the philosophical mindset, and the lifestyle you're promoting in your home right now. Which world would you say best represents your home? Heaven or Earth. Which of these two places do you and your family most identify with? And where, where do your loyalties lie? God made it very clear to the parents of the Old Testament when he first laid out the law. He said, listen, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, teach your children. Teach your children who they are in Christ. 
Teach them why they're here. Why God has allowed them to become followers of Jesus. Teach them where their strength comes from. To trust in God. See, when the right foundation is laid, listen, you are setting yourself up and your children up to stand in the face of fear and and to be resolved to be different. You gotta lay the foundation at home. Hours and hours of conversations that Amy and I have had with Zach and Taylor about this kind of stuff. How's it going for you? The jury's still out. You have sinners raising little sinners in a really messed up world. Two, we need to live as if we truly, truly believe that God is in control. Let me tell you what happens in this story. God God gives Daniel favor in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff. But he tells Daniel, he says, Daniel, listen, I'm scared to death of Nebuchadnezzar. If he sees that you are weak and pale because you have refused his food and his wine, he will have me beheaded. And Daniel says to him, listen, test me. Test me and my three buddies for 10 days. Give us only waters and water and vegetables. And if we do not look better than the rest of the guys who are on the king's meal program, then, then you can do whatever you want with us. And the Bible tells us that the king's official agrees to Daniel's terms. Now, how, how could Daniel and his friends put their lives on the line like that? Why not just eat? The, I mean, you got great food in front of you. You got the best wine. Why not just go ahead there? Because Daniel knew that God was in control. And because of that, he could resolve in his heart to be different. Daniel literally threw his life out on the line because he knew he could trust God. I remember early in the days, early in my early days of ministry, hearing Charles Stanley say this, and I've held on to this, I've held on to this since then. God takes complete responsibility for a life that is totally yielded to him. God takes complete responsibility for a life that's totally yielded to him. Then the third thing is this. Remember that God's blessings for his children are much greater than any perks that the culture has to offer us. Look what happens in verse 15. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. And God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. In other words, God came through. After 10 days of just drinking water and eating vegetables, Daniel and his three friends look healthier and better nourished than all the other young men that were in the king's four-step program. Some of you may be wondering where the Daniel fast came from. Right there. That's where it came from. All right? And I'm not suggesting that all of you go home and just eat vegetables and drink water, okay? But that's the story that happened here. And as a result, these guys... They're smarter than everyone else. And God gives Daniel this special ability to interpret visions and dreams. And I love verse 20. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Listen, God's blessings for his children are so much better than anything that this world has to offer. And then we need to remember this, and this is very important. Everybody lean in with me here for a moment. Rather than criticize or conform to the culture, here's what we need to do. We need to lead the culture. We need to engage the culture, lead the culture, 
influence the culture. Look at verse 18. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Daniel and his buddies were promoted to be insiders in the king's palace. Some of you may disagree with this, and I don't, I don't care. But I think as believers, we've made two mistakes when, when it comes to confronting the culture that we live in. First, we've attacked the culture. And listen, all we've done is made ourselves look angry and self-righteous, and as a result, we've lost influence. The second thing we've done is we've tried to conform to the culture, and all that's done is made us look like a bunch of hypocrites. And because of that, we've lost respect and our, our ability to make an impact. Rather than attack or conform, here's what we have to do. We need to engage, lead, so we can influence and impact the culture. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. What does salt do? Salt preserves things. It changes the taste of things. It adds a different taste to whatever you put it on. But what does light do? Light not only exposes darkness, but it illuminates things. And it shines a light out of darkness. But we cannot fear being different. We cannot fear being different. We have to resolve in our hearts that we will be difference makers. That God's left us here for a purpose. We know who we are. We know where our strength comes from. And I know how strong culture is. I raise kids in this culture. I'm, I'm, I'm in the culture with you. It's appealing. It's compelling. It's designed to be that way. But our strength and our power comes from God. He will give us the strength. He will give us the power. He will give us the grace to do what it is that he's called us to do, to raise kids who are difference makers in this culture. I want you to bow your head for a moment. I want you to think for a moment about your house, about your marriage, about your kids, about what you're doing currently. Does your home does your marriage, does your plan for raising your kids, what, what world does it reflect? What kingdom is it advancing? The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? I know it's a tough question. I have to answer that. I, I have to answer that. I'm, I'm sitting there writing this message, answering, trying to answer that question myself. If you are looking at your life right now, just examining, just and, and you realizing, you know what, Lord, I need to make some changes here. I need to make some tweaks here. We need to, we need to adjust things over here to more line up with our loyalties and our identity to the kingdom of God. Then you just confess that to God right now. Just give it to him. Say, Lord, you know what? Here's where we're probably making a little bit of a mistake. Here's where we're erring. We're getting sucked into this. Help us to not fear being different, but to embrace it. To understand why you've put us here. Ask God to let you be difference makers in your workplace, in the neighborhood you live in, in the places where your kids play ball or where they cheerlead or whatever it is that they do. Lord, help us to be difference makers today. Help our marriages to reflect a different kingdom. Help our, uh, the way we raise our children to reflect a different calling, a different kingdom than the one that we currently physically live in. 
Help us to resolve in our hearts to be different, to realize where our strength comes from. Lord, you have promised the grace. You've promised the power. You would not have left us here without it, and we're so grateful for that. Now, if you're here today and you've never allowed Jesus Christ to become your personal Savior, you're not here on accident. God brought you here today. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And if you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your personal Savior, I want you to pray with me right now. Just say, Lord, at this very moment, I put every bit of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my personal Savior. I confess, Lord, that I'm wrong. Father, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I put every bit of my faith and trust in Him alone and what He's done for me to pay for my sins. And I receive by faith His gift of grace the payment that he made for me on the cross and I received Jesus to be my savior. Head still about, some of you may be wondering, what, what, why do we do that every Sunday? Because almost every Sunday we have people that respond to that. Last week, two. The week before, five. The week before that, it was two or whatever. Everything in the Bible, even the story of Daniel, all the way through points to Jesus. All of it. Father, help us today to be difference makers in this culture. To not fear the culture, but to realize you've given us the strength to lead and impact and influence the culture for the sake of Jesus. Help us to walk out of here empowered today to do that. We don't don't attack the culture. Lord, we don't conform to the culture. We engage it. We influence it with the love and the kindness and the grace of Jesus. And we let the Holy Spirit do his job as we move forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.